<laughs> Gosh, John, I forget how good you are at karate. That's incredible. I know, man. I mean, it's all about the right belt. It is. Timing you know? or your leather belt. Exactly. I, I feel like maybe, is that not, that's what you meant. Not really, okay. but speaking of, oh, Dave, wow, I'm yeah, just yeah. going to try to transition to okay. save you. <laughs> Finally, Dave, Yeah. warm spring days are arriving. Oh, Am I gosh. right? Isn't it great? You know what? I need a new pair of shades that I don't have to baby. Do you know what I'm saying, John? I don't want to take care of them. Let me put them on, take them off, and not have to worry Look, about it. Hey, Dave, I know exactly Sorry. Sorry, what I didn't you mean. Sorry, I didn't mean to rant. Knock around is the solution. They've been making high-quality shades that don't break the bank okay. since 2005. Oh, wow. And they've actually been my personal go-tos for years. Oh, yeah. I love Knockaround, John. They have over 20 different frame styles, so there's something for everyone, including tons of kids' pairs. That's right. So whether you're looking to rep your favorite sports teams, mm-hmm. you know, like you're a sports guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> spend some relaxation time in the yard, yep. or cruise down Broadway with the windows down oh. like Dave does uh-huh. all the time. All the time. Every Tuesday and Thursday mm-hmm. and Saturday. Mm-hmm. Knock around. That's what you need. Yeah, yeah. All of their lenses have UV 400 protection, which is basically like sunscreen for your eyes, which, by the way, I've tried that, and it hurts. <laughs> Use the sunglasses, everybody. With polarized adult pairs starting at 28 bucks. you can get a few pairs to leave in your car, toss in your beach bag, or lend to a friend in need. Dave, that is such a good price I that I might buy a pair just to intentionally lose them. I don't love that logic, John, but I know, you do but have a history of misplacement. It's not around Don't fight me because like of the karate stuff. But it could so. be perfect for you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, Dadville fans, don't squint through family beach days yeah. or trips to the park. Check out knockaround.com and use the promo code DADVILLE15 for 15% off your order. That's DADVILLE15 for 15% off your order at knockaround.com. Hey guys, this is John McLaughlin. This is Dave Barnes. And welcome to Dadville. Dadville is a podcast where we talk about life, love, and the pursuit of awesome dadding. On today's episode, we talk with our friend Stephen James. Stephen is a uh, counselor here in Nashville. He runs Sage Hill Counseling, which has now got offices in Memphis. They're slowly expanding and taking over the world because they are really good at what they do. He's really wise. Really wise. Really wise. I'm going to say that I have, at any given time, maybe three pieces of wisdom that my little brain can hold. And mm-hmm. I think Stephen knocked one of those out and put one, <laughs> Replaced one in one. Yeah. yeah. John and I both were excited about having Stephen on because he's written books about being a father, about having sons. He knows a lot about this. And so this is one of those episodes we were especially excited about because we get to do some pretty deep spelunking into the world of yeah. how dad's work and how men work and steven did not leave any crumbs on the table he pretty much <laughs> wiped it i don't know what that means <laughs> can we start that as, he a, as, a, as a euphemism dude he didn't leave any Man, crumbs i'll tell on you table. what he didn't leave a single crumb on the table amen to that did I ever what tell you, you about mean? that when i what? tried to start called ninjas on the roof did I ever tell you about this i vaguely remember back in the this, day yeah it didn't stick with it me, didn't stick ahead. yeah but it's basically like impending doom uh, ninjas on the roof. Dude, did you hear he and she starting to date? Uh, ninjas on the roof. A couple ninjas on the roof, and they did not leave a single crumb <laughs> on the, on the table so once they got into the house. All right, well, here you go. Enjoy your time here in Dadville. Dadville. I'm glad we found the time, too. Oh, I know. And listen, we really need you to nail this. Okay, I could, I'll okay. do a great job the first time. So, <laughs> um, You know, the first TV show I ever did was uh, 700 Club. No, uh-huh. really. So they they started me out. Well, I did a local one here that, but went to Seven Hundred Club, and I'm sitting there, and 
they intro and they start. And I just kind of looked at it. I said, hey, can we start over? No. <laughs> and they're like, uh, we record live to tape, so we got to go back and do the whole thing over? <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> Wait, what were you on there doing? What were you talking about? Pitching, uh, becoming a dad. Oh, wow. That is 700 Club. Yeah, starting there. Pat Robin. It wasn't Pat. It was uh, the, the wife. woman. Yeah. Uh, not the wife, but she's kind of like the wife. I forget her name. She was great. Like, but... That was a weird, weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. We have to, everybody. So what stopped. did you do? Did you actually stop and do? Oh, no, they, the whole they thing had to. Again? I like. I was the, like, when you look at the host, hey, can we stop? You look at the camera. <laughs> so I learned very quickly. Like, ah, gotta, never mind. Let's you got to get it right the first time. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you. Or not. We, we can stop. <laughs> yeah. Let me yeah. tell you a phrase that you can't recover from on TV. Can we stop and start over? Like you can't just. <laughs> Like, oh no, he said that eh. wasn't good. He said the word, eh. he did it. Did he say the <laughs> oh, yeah. it was It was bad. They had me back though, so that must have been. Oh, well, this good. is wonderfully, you know, we can edit and move. You start. This is the opposite of whatever. <laughs> you yeah. can do whatever you want. Yeah. Can I say how excited I am to have our guest on today? Because nothing against our, our previous guests. Love them. Well, yeah. I have some but, things against our previous guests. Yeah, since I have and we want to give you space <laughs> okay, to good. voice Thank that. You. you can air those grievances. But we've got some, some legit. Uh, wisdom and expertise in the room. Stephen James, ladies and gentlemen and dads. Uh, Stephen James works with entrepreneurs, professionals, executives, and their families and leadership teams to help leaders serve with passion, wisdom, and effectiveness. He's passionate about creating life-changing environments. Stephen is the executive director of Sage Hill Consulting and the creator of the Leadership Lab. That's a lab. That's great. That you created. Yeah, it's a lab. It's experiments. He, he, he's also the leaders. founder and executive director of Sage Hill Counseling LLC, at, which is a healthcare startup in Nashville, Tennessee, that develops and manages communities of independent mental health practitioners. Wow, that sounds so official. This is so important. Mounting. Yeah, it's, uh, it just gets bigger and better. Yeah, I, and I have more. <laughs> wow. Stephen is the author of seven books. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Seven. That's amazing. Including his newest book, Parenting with Heart, How Imperfect Parents Can Raise Resilient, Loving, and Wise-Hearted Kids. He's been married to his wife, Heather, for 20 years. Over they 20 have years. Over 20 years. Yeah. Oh, is this an old bio? Uh, sure. Sure. No, that, <laughs> it, the word was uh, said over there. I totally yeah, missed that. Over You're 20 right. years. Over 20 years. And you have four children. Four children. Yeah. Stephen James, everybody. So, Stephen, I have Welcome. to. This is where I get to brag on you. So, there's the official spiel. And so, everybody that's listening. That was just is, off the top of my head. Yeah, <laughs> you were just riffing. <laughs> that was sort of a mad lib. You just yeah. got to fill in whatever word you wanted to. Um, so, I get to fart. brag on. I get to brag. <laughs> I used to yeah, love right. <laughs> fart and butt in the mad libs. <laughs> he Those is are the, the mayor of fart butt. Um, <laughs> so, I get to brag on you a little bit. I, so, we had seen Annie and I. I'm gonna. I'm outing myself, which I know you can't do. But you're I coming out of the closet. Here we here. go, ladies and gentlemen. Coming out of the dark. <laughs> so Andy and I had kind of gotten to a season in our marriage where, like, it was just we had been our oldest, and he was fresh out the kitchen. I mean, like month or two old. And uh, <laughs> I've never <laughs> heard that. Yeah, and um, <laughs> and we're just experiencing a lot of uh, new things, a lot of arguments, a lot of like we're just not seeing eye to eye. We didn't know how to parent. All these kind of things. And, you know, Annie had been seeing a counselor who was great. Um, I'd been to counseling for a long time with Al, and Al was so wonderful and helpful. But we both kind of felt like we need to, one, go somewhere together, and then we need somebody who can really, like, 
drill in on this pretty hard. Um, I do have that reputation. You do. And if, <laughs> so the funny thing is, truthfully, so so we kind of, you know, we asked some friends, and I can't remember now who advised us. I know Annie would remember, but um, I remember somebody said, you need to see Steven. So I remember going and sitting with you. I remember this so clearly, believe it or not, sitting in that, in the old office buildings with all the noise machines. And uh, the sound machine sitting in the hall, so nobody could hear the person crying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just so loud. Um, but so you know, we sit down, and you know, you're so kind and welcome. How you doing? And 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 I remember you said, so tell me what's going on, each of you. And I think you know, I kind of talked for maybe five minutes or an hour. Yeah, yeah. An hour. <laughs> yeah. five minutes. <laughs> I don't believe that. By this intro, yeah. but um, so I talked five minutes, and he talked five minutes, and I literally remember this so you, so well. You said, okay, so I kind of see what's going on here. And I thought, wait, what? <laughs> How can you see what's going And literally, you said, it sounds like this for you, and it sounds like this for you. Is that correct? <laughs> and we both went, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that, sounds, <laughs> that sounds about right. So, so, and then. Uh, you and then, thought you were so complex, and oh, you found man. out you were just so ordinary. Not. Yeah. So not. I'm so ordinary. Yeah. But it began this incredible season of healing for us. And I think, um, you know, Stephen. You've done that in a lot of people's lives for a long time here in Nashville, but I think something I've always been so appreciative um, for you um, about, I don't know how that sentence oh, You could be for me and about me all <laughs> yeah, at the same for time. for you, about you. Um, <laughs> all right, a few things. One, your ability to discern is insane. I don't know that I know another person that's as discerning as you are. I mean, that's a real gift. And Thank I think you, as Dave. a counselor wow. and therapist, it's so efficient. It's just speeds that process up because there's not you know what I mean I think yeah. that's a real gift you have and that's something I'm so excited to talk about today but that um and I think also uh the how truthful you are so I think something Andy and I both realized that we needed was not just someone to help us but someone who could do it in an expedited manner yeah. someone that could really sort of go here's what I'm seeing and here's what we need to talk about to help with this you know and obviously the faith part of, of your practice is a massive part of that. And then I think that's what I would say the third thing is the ability to sort of bring it into a biblical, Christ-centric context and go, how does the Lord think about this? How do we think about the Lord with this, et cetera? I don't think I ever said that in a counseling session with you. Well, no, 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 you didn't. <laughs> but I think you, the way you do it is that. Just, yes. You know what I mean? You, yeah. you're, you're relating it to our spiritual lives and walks. But So I'm super excited you're here because I feel like – you know, we talked about this before we started recording, but something we really wanted with the podcast is for people to be exposed to not just our friends and not just dads and not just people experienced, but I think people have real expertise. Yeah. And so people who actually know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'll go get that guy. Um, <laughs> you know him. <laughs> Can yeah, you make that call? I, I think I found him somewhere. Yeah. 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 I also so so that said, I just wanna I'm gonna read a couple of these book titles just really quickly. Oh great. This is just and then we can move on. But I just thought this is amazing. So one of the books is called How to Hit a Curveball, Grill the Perfect Steak and Become a Real Man, Learning What Our Fathers Never Taught Us. Another's called This is Stress. That sounds great. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Flying off the shelves. <laughs> um, another one's called Does This Stress Make Me Look Fat? A Man's Guide to the Loaded Questions Women Ask. Well, Another these are so bestseller. <laughs> these are so, yup, nope, maybe. A Woman's Guide to Getting More Out of the Language of Men uh-huh. and Wild Things, Yard Nurturing Boys. I mean, that, that you guys... You left out one for sure that I think is, is called Becoming a Dad. Oh, that's right. So oh, that's that right. was the first yeah. book. That was a Seven Hundred Club book. That was that that book. Uh, it was kind of a memoir around my co-author and I, David Thomas, who's also a counselor. Uh, I had had kind of my own awakening and um, kind of spiritual awakening and personal awakening about how my story as a boy and as a man was impacting 
who I was as a, as a person kind of in the face of my daughter when she was first born. Wow. And, and so it kind of sent me into this quest for more of who I am and more of who God is. And, uh, and kind of out of that, we wrote this book about the, the questions a dad is bringing to the table, you know, in, yeah. in becoming a new father. Right. And that, that, uh, we talk about, there's no great, there's no weightier title that a man will ever bear than father. Wow. Yeah. Like not King, not boss, not, you know, celebrity, but like being yeah. a father is all of a sudden a, this mantle has been placed on me. And all I did was donate a little piece of DNA. Yeah. <laughs> right. And right. now all of a sudden I'm ushered into responsibility. Can you talk about that? Why, why is that the case? Yeah, so there's a penis and a vagina. Oh, no, my gosh. <laughs> oh, no, not that. Kids, you might want to close your ears. Uh, okay. Yeah, Listen <laughs> Those are technical terms. stuff we really need help <laughs> yeah, so, with. So <laughs> the main you, reason why we brought you in here. So not talk about that? <laughs> you can. I'll okay, you can. <laughs> well, that would be a different podcast. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, can we start Dr. over? Dr. Lewis, yeah. Can we start over? I'm sorry. Uh yeah, talk about what the father. Why father is such a bigger deal than king or oh man? Boss um, or... Because I think I think all of us have had fathers, whether we knew them or didn't know them. Right? Yeah. We, there's this. Uh, we know we've come from somewhere that's not us, right? And that's true biologically, but it's also true emotionally and spiritually. Is that we come from a place that's even beyond ourselves, you know? And we didn't have a choice to be born. We didn't have a choice to come into life. We didn't get to choose who our father was. And for me, I pretty quickly um, knew when when our daughter was born, 18 years ago now, almost 19, whatever I thought being a father was, like, I didn't feel up to the task. Wow. I just had this Mm -hmm. innate sense one day of getting her out of the bath. She was, you know, probably 16 months old or so, and we got her out of the bath, and she looked at me in the eyes, like, really, like, looked at me. Like, she wasn't ashamed to look at me. She wanted to connect with me. And it kind of exposed this thing in me that I was afraid to look at me. I didn't want her to see me. And I turned my gaze from her. Right. Wow. And um, it's a very existential moment for me where I looked yeah. away from her because I didn't want to be seen. And that took me into a place of kind of ambivalence of like, I want to be a great dad, but to be a great dad, I've got to actually be a better version of me and address some things and secrets and ideas and wounds that I didn't ever want to face. Right. And so I had this choice of like, was I going to give my daughter what she needed or was I going to stay protected? And uh, that was a real, even more than getting married, like having a child kind of moved me into a place of powerlessness and awe and gratitude that was so weighty. Right. And that I knew it was something I couldn't live up to. Wow. You know? Um, And now I know I can't live up to it. Uh, which is some freedom on the backside of that. I think I spent the first, I don't know, um, 14 years of, you know, I have four kids. And so uh, oldest is 18, the youngest two are 13. So we've got four teenagers, right? So with the first 14 years, trying to live up to an idea of being yeah. a dad. And yeah. um, and as a best-selling parenting author, I had all the tools. <laughs> Proceed. All right, yeah. you know? <laughs> Let me tell you how to do that. Let me, yeah. hold, let me read my book. Let me son. put an effect on your voice yeah. right now. Hang on. And I think over the last several years, as as my children have moved towards adulthood, and I've realized a lot of what I've been able to give them has been great, and a lot of what I've been able to give them has been very limiting, and that they really are uh, with me for a time. Yeah. You know, I'll always be their father, but they really are made to live their own lives, not live with me. And 
that's kind of does a wow. I, I can't go back to when they're seven and fix that thing. And if yeah. I try to fix that thing so that I feel better, I'm really putting something else on them, right? <laughs> right, you know. Yeah. Um, let me make up to you. Let me literally make up to to what a bad dad I was. Yeah, know? yeah. Right. It's like okay, dad. Like I thought we were past that, or yeah, you know. Uh, so, but this idea now, I, I'm I'm walking in this idea of um, being a father is more about being with my children uh, wherever they are in their development. And less about uh, stamping out, you know, um, a child in the image that I want to make them or the image I think that they need to be or, yeah, yeah. you know, and it's been a real undoing of me in a lot of ways. Um, my ideas of parenting, my ideas of identity, my ideas of my own father, um, who Heather and I are as a couple, right? Like kind of let, let go of the idea that parenting is an outcome based thing. Which really, this is interesting, and you can read about this in Parenting with Heart, uh, uh, that uh, the word parenting did not come into the English lexicon until the 1950s and 60s. Really? And really? we can mostly thank James Dobson for that. So no it's a, way. Yeah. It's a brand new idea of parenting, of, of the way you interact with a child as an adult will get you some outcome with the child, right? And it's not bad. So all the users who are black and white thinkers and dualistic in your thinking, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying that it's a brand new idea. And as we got into psychology, which is a new thing, right? It's this study of human behavior is new in the 20th century. We started applying it to children in the mid 20th century. And that became a psychological approach to parenting that if I do this, my kid will do this. Right. Um, Which ends up being a very narcissistic approach. Right. Subtly, yeah. very subtly. Uh, it makes kids products, not people. Um, it makes their behavior more of a commentary on us as parents. And we have all this anxiety now as parents about, is my kid going to turn out okay? Which is really a question Absolutely. of, am I going to be okay if my kid doesn't turn out okay? Absolutely. You yeah. know? So we end up subconsciously putting all that pressure on three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds to make grown-ups okay. okay. And that's the real plight yeah. of parenting. Instead of being a parent, right, it's a real difference between being a parent and yeah. doing parenting. Would you talk about that for a second? I was, like I said, for me, like I'm really trying to walk in this place now of being a parent, right, that I, uh, I have a role in my children's lives. I have authority in my lives primarily because I gave them DNA and, they were, and I'm older than them. Like yeah, that's, yeah. that's my authority. Yeah. You know, uh, you need to respect me because I'm older than you, right? Right. <laughs> and I'm a fool. Respect that, son. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, um, as opposed to doing parenting so that my kid will stay in bed at night or my kid will behave at school or my kid will act the right way in church or my kid will do this, right? I learn more about who I am with them and who they are with me by being with them as opposed to doing something on them, you know, yeah. managing their behavior or even their character. Trying to create their character is like in- instead of uh, living with them in a way of trying to discover who God made them to be and kind of seeing more and more of that as they age and seeing them move through these developmental things and having the courage to name what I think is true and have them name what's true about being a child with me or uh, the best feedback I've ever gotten has been for my kids. Like they can name the truth about what it's like to be with Stephen James, you know, and it's not always kind, but it's, it's always accurate. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And so just learning that they have more to teach me about living than I do about, 
to teach them about living. Um, and what kids need is they need to know that someone's going to be with them th- through the living. They don't need to know that we have it right. They know we don't have it right. They know we don't have it together. They're okay with us not having it together. If we'll be okay with that, right? And they just need to know, are you going to be with me as I grow? Are you going to be with me as I live? Are you going to be with me as I struggle? Are you going to be with me as I celebrate? Are you going to be with me as I die? Right? Like, are you going to stay with me? And the answer to that is no. Like, not all the time. You know, I can't be with you all the time. Like, uh, I'm sometimes doing, I'm sometimes not available, I'm sometimes checked out, I'm sometimes asleep, and there's going to be a time, hopefully, best case scenario, I die before you, and you're going to be alone without me. Yeah. And that child's heart never outgrows that, right? It's, it's, that's even sad. So to be a parent means learning to live with grief, learning to live with celebration, which is the other side of the coin of grief. Uh, it's learning to live in the tension of life and, and struggle and beauty and heartache and repentance and, and redemption. I mean, all in a like a meal at Five Points Pizza here in Nashville. I mean, yeah, there's so right, much yeah. going on and just dinner time, you know? Do you feel like there are differences in the mother and father roles, like with a dad and a mom? Yeah. That- yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Heather's a better parent <laughs> than I am, <laughs> like in our roles. Do you, uh, like, Do you feel like moms in general are better at the being no. So this is Dadville, so we're going to tell some Dadville truth. Yes, come yeah. on. Women suck at relationship just as much as men do. Hmm. They're, they're just as bad at human relationships. They don't tell the truth as well or in different ways. Women, female relationships for women are really, really hard and uh-huh. really, really nuanced and complexed and complexed, complex or complexed. Or complex. Complex. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like that you outed yourself on that. <laughs> Women have complex talk. <laughs> Lots have oh, funnies. Oh. Um, you know, and men struggle in relationship in different ways, right? And so uh, we all struggle in relationship. We all struggle in being ourselves with each other and with ourselves and with God. Like that is that is our struggle, yeah. is being. I do think that uh, mothers get a head start on being with their children because we know through science that they are actually bonding while the child is in utero. And so uh, let's talk about adoption in a second. But a mother that uh, grows a child inside of her is actually doing neurochemical bonding with the child as well as emotional and spiritual bonding with the child. Mm-hmm. Whereas the dad, you know, I've talked to so many dads that are like, look at their wives, at like, you know, six months pregnant and go, you're pregnant. And she's like, that's what I've been telling you for six months. Yeah. He's like, I know, but you're really pregnant. And she's like, okay. Yeah. And so there's there's a sense of which a mother has a little bit of a head start. And if a mom breastfeeds, there's a real attachment bonding that's going on there. That like It's fa- uh, fascinating. A baby, when it's born, can only see 18 inches. It can't see further. It can't see closer. Can't focus its eyes. Oh, no, I didn't know it could. It, see yeah, closer. I didn't know it could. See no, it, it it can. It's got Only a fixed that. depth of view, so it might have a. It's probably a few inches either side of eighteen right. inches, right? But it can see the distance from breast to face. Golly, that's Moses. amazing. And a human child is neurologically wired to recognize the human face. Girl children, girl babies, will respond to the human face more readily than boy babies. Boy uh-huh. babies will respond to uh, inanimate objects, things with yeah. hard angles more than girl babies. So there is a like a fundamental difference in the brain wiring of a typical male brain and a typical female brain. And then there's everything in between. 
Yeah. Right. And so there's not a male brain and female brain. There is a male brain and a female brain. Right. And then there's all this space in between. Yeah. So there's a way in which women, uh, we're going on a deep end of this neuroscience. Is, come on, we come are. on. Okay. Come on. Here we go. So the female brain has, women have smaller brains than men, which <laughs> actually allows them to have more goo around their brains, which allows their brain to connect with itself and connect the dots in a quicker and more efficient way. Wow. So the metaphorical way to think about it is women's brains function more in webs and connections, and men's brains more think more linearly. It takes us more energy to connect dots uh-huh. uh, because we have less goo. So to say women are re- more relational is a misnomer. Women think more in relational web-like interactions and can see how all the dominoes fall more naturally than the male brain. Okay? And so... I just think that's really interesting, like and how that how we have implications from from a neuroscience or brain structure standpoint, and in how we move in the world through our gender, right? Especially in the category of parenting. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And kind of the joke or the metaphor I use is, um, a mom, a typical mom will know if lunch isn't made properly on Monday, what's going to happen to the kid on Thursday. Yeah. Where dad's like, we can just give him some lunch money. Yeah. It's like, you can't give him lunch money because we have gymnastics and we have this, we have this going on. And like, ah, right. And the dad's like, okay. A dad can underemphasize things. A mom can overemphasize things. It might be easier to say a mother can tend to overfunction in a relationship with her children. A dad can tend to underfunction. And I've seen a lot of the opposite where a mom can underfunction and a dad can overfunction. Yeah. Right. So, that's something. I don't know how we got on all that. That's just a lot. <laughs> Man. So I do think that men and women are different yeah. uh, biologically. I don't think men and women are different emotionally and spiritually. I think we're all made for relationship. We're all made in the image of God. Uh, and we find our meaning and purpose in relationship with ourselves, others, and God. And, yeah. uh, but how that's embodied or incarnated in the male body and the female body, uh, kind of we move into the world differently. Right. And I think moms get a head start. Now let's talk about adoptive parents. There's a really cool thing going on in the adoptive world the last five to 10 years is we're telling the truth about parents who adopt uh, are doing a really great thing. And it's not the ideal. That the ideal for the child is to be raised by the biological parent. Um, And when a child can't be in a healthy way, adoption is the very next best choice. But we're, what we're finding out through, like we've always known, but we're being able to have the courage to tell the truth about through a lot of science and attachment theory stuff, is that that bonding that takes place between a mother and child and a father and child is so fundamental that a kid who is adopted is always going to feel a little disconnected from mom and dad. And the mom and dad that can accept that and begin to talk and, and wow. engage mm-hmm. a child around that gives the child permission to attach the mom and the dad. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. Right? And the mom and the dad that can't end up giving the kid more anxiety and more shame because the child intuitively and subconsciously knows my parents feel ashamed of me being adopted or they feel scared of me being adopted or they feel lonely with me being adopted and I'm going to have to keep that in because they can't handle it. Right? Yeah. I have friends that adopted a long time ago, and I've got friends and family members that adopted recently. And the whole conversation around adoption and giving permission for parents and children in adoptive families to, to tolerate that disconnect is yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Right? I mean, it's like it allows them to actually be in relationship around what is instead of this mythical, ideal fantasy world of, you know, um, 
what's not what not is what's impossible. To well, me. and I would think that's going to come hardwired, especially when you have international uh, and different cultural adoptions, where you're having like so many of our friends have. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I know. I'm thinking of a couple that uh, adopted a little girl. They live in Nashville. They adopted a little girl from Memphis. Same race, a little bit different social class, but a totally different gene pool. And yeah. by that, I mean. You know, all human genes are 99.9% exactly the same. So 0.1% makes all the difference genetically for us with race, gender, height, weight, you know, all that stuff. Um, the daughter in this family articulates a lot of life like her biological mother. And she has two very driven, successful, smart, accomplished parents, right? And the daughter's like, let's take a nap today. <laughs> oh, isn't that a pretty tree? Like she, the daughter's an artist. Like the way uh -huh. she engages the world is much more like artistic and dramatic. Yeah. And like, I want to be in the spotlight. And the parents are like, that goes against our values. Right. And so this child is bringing something into that family that yeah. is of DNA yeah. and is of emotional, spiritual heritage that I think is actually really redemptive for this couple. Right. Because um, it's causing them to kind of see life in a bigger, different way that uh, is causing them to learn and grow as, yeah. you know, people in their 30s, 40s. Then if they were, if they created another little mini me, it's like uh, that challenges them in a different way. Yeah. Right. So uh, it, it's not just international. Yeah. Um, that's pretty obvious. Yeah. Though I do, my sister adopted from Ethiopia. Oh, wow. Right. And she, someone in the grocery store said, are you going to tell her she's adopted? And my sister said... <laughs> We haven't decided yet. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I mean, so I mean, the the insanity of my daughter's holding this beautiful black skinned girl, right? And my daughter, my sister. Wow, that was a Freudian slip. My, I was going to say, <laughs> kind of raised her a little bit. Uh, <laughs> uh, my my sister's holding this beautiful black skinned girl. And this woman's asking her, "Are you going to tell her?" Like that speaks to the denial, yeah, yeah that we yeah, have yeah, about yeah. heartache and yeah. pain and struggle, yeah. and yeah. you know. And my sister has said, like, when they brought, you know, their daughter home, the child that had the most disruption was actually their biological son. Mm, yeah. Because he had just been displaced, right? And he had this two or three year kind of attachment struggle, right, is what we would call it now, um, just because they did a good thing and literally saved the life of a child that was left on a doorstep of an orphanage, you know? But it was their son that was like, yeah, that felt missed right. in it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So speaking of your new book. Yeah, yeah. Right. Parenting with Heart. Parenting with Heart. So there, there was one thing as I was reading through that caught my eye for a very obvious reason. You talk about how good enough is perhaps the, the let me get this quote exactly right here, because this, this gives me so much hope. <laughs> good enough might be the most excellent way to parent. What do you mean by that? So we're, we're borrowing a, a phrase from um, kind of the first child, child psychologist named Winnicott. Okay, so he uh, was in England, and he started thinking about this idea of how parents and children interact. He's so kind of the first thinker. He's a contemporary of Freud. And he made a list of 14 reasons why every mother hates their child. And he published Yikes. it, and mothers oh went crazy. Gosh. Yeah, right. Except for that one mom was like, "Oh my gosh, that's I the truth." So this is me. I feel so known. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> and it is things like they will leave you. Yeah, they they take energy from you. They won't stop crying when you want them to stop crying. 
Yeah. You know? And what Winnicott was getting to is that there's human condition in us. There's this part that, like, we're selfish, and we don't ever outgrow being selfish. And if we can let ourselves be good enough, which means uh, be present to, bring ourselves to, like, do I really believe that I, as God made me and who I am, am enough for this child? Or do I believe I have to become something more, right? Yeah. And I have learned for me that when I'm myself with my kids, that's actually what they're looking for. Like yeah. They're looking for, like, am I enough? That doesn't mean I'm everything they need. Right. And that's a really hard idea for parents to to come to is that my kids need more than me. Mm. Yeah. You know, even from birth, like they need more, more than me. They need to sleep. Right. Yeah. Um, that's like, wow, they need most of their time of an infant is actually not being with their parents. Yeah. Yeah. You know, which I think that's just paradoxically this weird thing. Right. You know, the original title of the book that the publisher hated was called giraffes on ice. Oh, yeah. I love that. Everybody loves that. Except the publisher. Yeah. And right. we all know that when you sign over oh, rights yeah, yeah, to yeah. something, you sign over the rights to something, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So that's how that works. So uh, we negotiated a, a different title. But the idea of the, of the original book was like, we are all giraffes running on ice. Yeah. So you get that picture of the best we get as parents is this gangly desert creature with a scarf kind of slipping and sliding on a frozen pond. Yeah. And that's what parenting is. And if well, we it's could. So, yeah. It's so fascinating because it seems like, as I was reading your book, it seemed like. You were almost saying, like, look, guys, bef- before you read through this book, you need, however long this takes, you need to really come to grips with the fact that you are not great at this. Yeah. But at the same time, you are the perfect person to parent your child. Yeah, I don't need to know? be a great parent. I need to be great at being Stephen. Right. Right. Which, Which is so night. so hard. Oh. To, to do that. So hard. So hard. Yeah. Which was impossible. I mean, what's fascinating about you said what you said a little bit earlier, how parenting is not was not even in our language 75 years ago or yeah. whatever. Is that, so this is just new. This is a modern guilt that we have upon ourselves. Yes. It's part of the it's a deep philosophy about how industrialization has robbed the human spirit of their our agrarian nature. We yeah. go off into that. I don't want to do that. No, no, but, but that's a good point. <laughs> right, but we've yeah. industrialized child parent, child rearing, and yeah. we, even our education system is more modeled on factory production than uh-huh. it is actually how you educate children, right? And the book, Wild Things, The Art of Nurturing Boys, put a lot of research that talks about putting a boy in a classroom and asking him to sit still is asking him to go against everything inside of him. Yeah, yes. And then when the teacher says, because you talked, you can't go to recess, like she has just slit her throat metaphorically in the classroom the rest of the day and basically told this boy, look, I'm scared of your masculinity, so I'm going to, I'm going to cut it off so that I have some more control. Like, so even education, industrialization of the human heart, man, it, it is bad for children, but that's what parenting has kind of turned into is these parenting workshops, these, uh, most of the parenting books have a lot of great information are subtly though, teaching parents how to behave to get the outcome you want for your child. And that is a part of being a nurturer and a provider and a leader for children. But it's certainly a small part because if a child is attached to who the parent really is, which means the parent needs to be attached to who the parent really is mm. first. Yeah. So but, that's step one. Really. Yeah. You got to be with you first. You got to know yeah. who you are. You have to have done your work to accept who you are. Which is not like that's a one-time thing. Yeah, right. right. I mean, I'm in a whole new season of kind of 
doing my work right as as yeah. a man and there's something someone said to me last week that I'm on the back nine and I was like what do you mean back nine they're like well you're like you've turned the turn <laughs> and you're like playing the last nine holes and maybe uh, several explicatives came out at that point for me <laughs> but I went home and I did the math as of last week I'm on hole 10.2865 no so I have teed off from the 11th uh tee box I am a chip shot from the 11th green yeah and it's like that kind of has blown yeah. my mind that like that idea that there's all these things that I said I was going to do that I'm not going to do. Right. There's all these ways that I was going to become that I'm not going to become. There's all this weight that I was going to lose that I'm not going to lose. There's right, right. all this money I was going to make that I'm probably not going to make. There's all these parenting things I'm going to do that I'm not going to do. There's all these promises I've made to Heather I'm not going to keep. It's like there's just not enough time left. Yeah. And as I live in that, I actually have more of me to give because I'm actually being the man I am as opposed to this ideal that I can't live up to, this aspiration of who right. I'm supposed to become. And then once I become that, I have something to give people. That is so not the good news. Mm. You know? Yeah. That who I am is enough, that how God made me is enough, that how I can show up in relationship is enough, right? It's not enough ultimately, but it's enough for now, right? And, yeah. Hey, Dave. Hey, John. I have a ton of questions. Yeah, that's that's one thing I've always known about you. But let me guess this. Is one of them, what is love, and then followed by, baby, don't hurt me, baby, don't hurt me anymore? No. Oh. No, not at all. It's more about life insurance coverage. Oh. Like, how much do I need? Yep. Which life insurance company is the best, and how much should it cost? Yeah, no, you no know, stuff like that. Yeah, that's those are better questions for sure. But guess what? What? I have something that can help. What is it? Policy Genius. Oh, Policy Genius. That's that website that compares all the quotes from the top life insurance providers all in one place, right? Yep. And what's the one thing you hate? Oh, I hate legwork. Yep. And it does all of the legwork for you and can save you fifteen hundred bucks or more a year. Oh, I hate legwork and I love fifteen hundred bucks because yep. that's a lot of mac and cheese and taquitos to bribe my kids with. Yeah. And you know that pool that you've been wanting to put in? Oh yeah. I want you to put in a pool too. Well, we could both be fifteen hundred bucks closer to it. The other great thing about Policy Genius is their team handles all of the red tape for you for free. More for that pool, baby. Oh, man. And that pool only costs fourteen ninety nine. So oh, you have sold me, Dave. I know exactly where to start my life insurance search, and I'm going to policygenius.com right now. Do it, because Policy Genius will find you the best rate and handle the process completely, leaving your family protected and giving you more time to think about that pool that I will come over and use, whether you know it and like it or not. So, really, Policy Genius will improve both of our lives. So don't delay. Try it today. Need to buy a fence, too. <laughs> <laughs> How much is a fence, you think? <laughs> How much is a pool fence combo? <laughs> oh, that's John wrote this, and I, I love this question. It speaks a lot to sort of what you're talking about, and I'd love to hear you talk about this. Uh, it says, you say we've seen a cultural shift from parent-centric homes where kids are seen and not heard to child-centric homes. Yes. Where parents worried about everything and kids get a trophy for everything. Uh, you propose heart-centric parenting where we find space to accept yourself as a parent who may not be perfect but good enough. Um, this is good stuff. Read more. Well, it's this is John. <laughs> Thanks, John. Uh, I'm just quoting John here. And uh, I'm just quoting you. Yeah, I appreciate that. So, uh, yeah, this is actually coming This is actually you. me, yeah. Uh, and you propose that good enough might be the most excellent way. The thing that I'm curious about 
because you just spoke to that is is because this is something I struggle a lot with is sort of paying too much att- or, or not paying attention, but thinking about my kids and trying to not coddle them or, you know. I would ask you, when you say you're thinking about your kids, what are you feeling? I knew you were going to Yeah, I thought you knew I was going to do that. Come on. I tried to avoid all of these snares, and I just Let jumped John into one. John, keep talking then. Yeah, we, no. don't want, we don't want you to put the spotlight on us. <laughs> no, right now. at all. This is not about our inefficiencies. No, or just your humanity. Or humanity. Yeah. yeah. God, dog, it, I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so frustrating. You bring a counselor um, into the room, and you he, will be you're counseled. watching me the whole time. You're just stroking your Gandalf beard. Like, go ahead, silly boy. Oh, he's going to move right yeah, into right the Right into square. the bear trap. <laughs> Avoid the little one to jump in the big one. Um, yes, it is so much reflective of my fears and my insecurities and my humanity, your point. But I think, like, I... Well, hold on, because you said butt, and butt's a negator, which means yeah. it erases everything you just said. <laughs> So let's not erase everything you yeah, said. Right. Let's put an and, and there, right? Yeah. So you said, when I think about my children, yeah. I'm afraid. Yeah. When I think about what I need to give them, I'm yeah. afraid. When I think about what they need, I'm afraid. Yeah. Just as a thought experiment, what are you afraid of? There's a lot of things. I think I think about, am I giving them enough of myself? Am I withholding things so they have access to what they need in me? I think that, am I paying attention Am I setting them up to succeed? Because if they don't succeed, what happens? Um, we start over. Uh, yeah, and <laughs> that's contractual. No, okay. I think, um, yeah, it, it would reflect on me. It would say that I would I didn't yeah. do a good job, that yeah. I, I failed at something I was tasked with. So it's not really about them, obviously, and that it's about me. So if your children time. can't tell you how you failed, they're telling you something. Right. If you think about your relationships, like our thing in this room, our relationships with our adult parents, to the degree we can't tell them ha- how our experience of them failed us, we know they can't handle us. So if we think about a standard for parenting or a good enough parent, is the kind of parent where a kid can come home after they've been in the world, been in the adult world for a little while, and say, hey, I've seen some things, and I'm realizing uh, I'm not playing with the full bag of clubs. Hmm. Right. There's some there's some things I didn't get in this family growing up. And yeah, some of those things you didn't give me or what you gave me is not useful. Working, yeah. yeah. And I'm really pissed and really hurt about it. If a kid can bring that to their parent, yeah, that's and the like parent goes, the good news. Yeah, yeah. Then the kid is safe. Yeah. And what creates that? How do you create that as a parent? A parent that's willing to tolerate the truth mm, of themselves. Great. Yep. Which means the parent has other adults that tell them the truth. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Can uh, you, I mean, I feel like you could say that five times in a row. Yeah, I probably will say yeah. that. Like, you yeah. can just echo that one. Echo, yeah. Echo, echo. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing is, like, a parent that can tolerate the hatred of the, their child hating them and them hating their child. Because the contrast of love is hate. Like, we only know love because we've got a little bit of hate, right? And so, you know, there, if you don't know the feeling of wanting to ignore your child to punish them, that passive aggressiveness of mm-hmm. I'm going to make them pay for what they just did. Then how do you know you love your child and your child's got to be able to hate you. And I'm not saying I hate you dad, but be able to like draw a contrast with like, I know that you don't always been good for me. You know, I can tell about how you're interacting with me. This isn't about me. This is about you, dad. Now a right. four year old is not going to say that, but they're sure going to express it. Mm. Yeah. You know, um, so if a child cannot cry their guts out in front of the parent, like just grieve to their core, and a child cannot hate their parent openly, 
right? Then the child can't attach to the parent. Golly, Good. Moses. Right? Now, that doesn't mean, that means we have to teach our children over time how to be respectful. We need to teach our right. children, like, hey, there's boundaries. So I'm not talking about a world without boundaries, right? I'm talking about a world where there's emotional permission for the child to have an identity and really discover who they are in the context of themselves and in a family and in a culture. And in a that world. is so hard. Oh, it's impossible. God, yeah. that's hard. It's not just hard, it's impossible. As a parent trying to walk that fine line of here is how this child is. So like Xana, my middle, who is so fun. Yeah. And she's big and she's bold. But I mean, just the same for the opposite. Yeah. When it is wrong, it is. We laughed about this with your girls too. Like how she can go from like, ah, and I can do one thing. She's like, oh my God, that's funny, dad. I'm like, you are crazy. <laughs> Something is wrong with you. Yeah. But, but I think like trying to give any sense of, rails some sense you know trying to give her a space for that celebrate who she is and go you know thank god i think we're trying to do that where we don't come in and go stop crying we go okay hey can you just like let's pull that in you know and not go don't cry or don't you're don't act crazy but that's so hard it's hard to know how to navigate and give your children like you said some sense of boundaries while still while not squashing who they are yeah, we read a series of books uh, called uh, Alcatraz and the Evil Librarians, which is some kids' books, actually. Oh, wow. Right? And it was eye-opening for me. Um, and it was about this kid named Alcatraz Smedry. I'm going to go on a long tangent. Alcatraz is adopted. He's in foster care. And everything he touches, he breaks. So he gets moved from foster home to foster home to foster home. And his last foster home he's in, he burns it down trying to make breakfast for himself. And one day, this old man shows up and says, I'm your grandfather. I'm here to rescue you. You have to come quick. The librarians are after us. And the kid's like, what? A grandfather? What? And he goes, yes, you're a smedry, my boy. Come on. And he and he kind of talks this kid. It's a kind of weird old man. Talks this kid to jump into a, a car and driving off with him to kind of save his life. And what the kid finds out over the course of the first few chapters of the novel is that he lives in this alter world called the Hushlands, which is controlled by the evil librarians that are suppressing the truth, and that he's actually from the clan of Smedry who has magical powers. His power is the breaking power, which is the most powerful thing of all. And that, think about that. So when someone points a gun at him, he can point at the gun and the gun breaks. Wow. His grandfather's power was showing up late to everything. He's been late for his death on several occasions. Oh, <laughs> right? that is genius. He's got a cousin when she goes to sleep. She wakes up with like really bad bedhead, but she can disguise herself and look like somebody else, right? He's got a, another cousin that gets lost, and so if they're being chased, he leads the way, and they'll end up like a Tibet, <laughs> you know, yeah. right? Amazing. And yeah. so this author starts turning this this thing around on us in this book, where we start thinking our our greatest foible is actually our greatest strength, yeah, right? you know. And I think we start thinking about our kids that way, and we start naming their personality in a different way. Yeah, we start seeing wow because it's true for us. Our greatest strength is our greatest limitation, and our greatest limitation is our greatest strength, right? right? And so, um, we start seeing that for our kids. You you think of your daughter, and you go, "Wow, she's a wild card, right?" And she's not going to be managed. Yeah, and yeah, it's like I wouldn't be too worried about her going on her first date then, because yeah, she's going to tell the guy exactly (laughs) the way it's going to go. Well, and that's exactly what I have two girls. Yeah, and on on my way over here, my wife was like, she stopped me, and she was like. Will you, in all seriousness, will you ask him how we raise 
these two girls who have complete control over us. <laughs> I mean, I my my daughters Luca and Livy, they are It's like a I, band right there. Whatever yeah, yeah. is in Disney there show. is so great. Yeah. If I could be honestly, if I could just put it on pause for like, you know, another 10 years or oh, something to make my life We a never easier. get better than 4 years old. That is the best we get as human beings is 4 years old. Yeah. We're so pure hearted we're so open we're so ourselves and then everything after that's just skills uh-huh. right uh-huh. like but our humanity is and even jesus said this like unless you come to me like one of these children right, right this is as right. good as it gets well and i was thinking about that when you were talking about when your daughter was 16 months yeah. old and you had that moment in yeah. bath i mean how amazing is that oh she didn't even didn't say a word just looked at you yeah probably have had so many friends and colleagues around you who couldn't get through in the way that she got yeah. through to you in that look, yeah. you know? Yeah. But I I wholeheartedly agree. Like, my daughters are not going to be, they're not going to have a problem on that first date. Yeah. That's, that's great. What about what about me in the yeah, next? You're going to have a lot of problems on the who's, first date. Who's, yeah. I have to be with them every day. <laughs> um, you talk about how, like, your your children will become, they will become at 50, it's shaped more by their experiences more so than how we teach them how to behave, yeah. which I feel like, you know, that says I'm like looking at this from the wrong angle. Because yeah. every day, whether I'm, you know, giving myself a pep talk to come in, how am I going to handle how they're going to behave in the morning? They're not going to want to wear that outfit. They're not going to, whatever it is, how I can wrangle these kids in. Or fast forward 12 hours when I'm laying in bed at night and I'm like, I didn't do that right. I didn't. <laughs> teach them right or I didn't say the right thing or whatever can you explain that a little bit more uh what do you mean by they're shaped more by their life experiences more so than how we're teaching them how to behave yeah um what I mean by that is we're shaped more by our life experiences <laughs> than by how we teach them to behave uh children are ter- that was Stephen James, Stephen James everyone right? thank you so much uh, children are terrible at following directions right yeah. Um, adults Agreed. are bad at following directions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, um, and we've. That's been, why I want to teach my kids how to follow, follow directions. directions. Yeah. yeah. I would much rather my children to learn to follow their own internal locus of controls, the, like the, the big fancy word, but it's like listen to their own self, learn how to know what's good for them or bad for them, as opposed to follow some outward set of rules that let them down. Life is going to break their heart. There's nothing we can do as parents to stop that. We can be with them in the heartbreak. You know, we can help them be, we can be agents of healing for them. We can help mend it. We can not fix it. It it will not prevent it. There's nothing we can do to prevent our child's broken heart. And if we do, we've robbed them of the experience of being human, right? And if we can really see as a parent that as my child moves through life, their heart is going to be broken over and over again, usually in the same way. Like if we're really astute parents, we really get to see the way God is marking their story over and over again with the same way. Because it, right. it would just obviously true for us, fast forward. Yeah. And so with that, we got to get to go, huh, I wonder what life or God is doing to shape my child and teach my child. And how, what is my child learning in response to that? Right? How are they deciding who they are? How are they begin to shape their world and you can see it little bitty kids start shaping their world in response to different things right Uh, we're very creative we're very authoritative creatures we love to play god of our own own creation and that's not a bad thing that's a thing thing that's a human thing and so 
your your daughters are going to learn more through life about life than they are about you because you can only tell them about your life you can't tell them about their life yeah you can tell them about what it's like for you to be with them or what you see in them or what you see about them or what you see around them but only they can tell you about their life and often as parents especially in the world today we want to rob our kids of heartache right you know we want to rob yeah. them of the struggle we want them to feel successful yeah um, and the one of the biggest shams we're pulling on our kids is letting them feel successful when they actually haven't done anything. To the point about trophies. Yeah, that, that's yeah. you know. So we're seeing kids at Sage Hill Counseling, kids twenty uh, somethings who are coming out of college, and are, they're realizing they are so not equipped to be grownups that they've never struggled, they've never not succeeded. Uh, they, uh, if they have not succeeded, the parents come in and talk to the college administration. Right. Still, yeah. Like the idea when I was going through college that a parent would call the college, right, is insane. But yeah. now it's like they have whole orientations for parents in college. <laughs> That's amazing. They have parent orientation. That's amazing. Yeah. Right. And I really think it's coming from this place. Parents are scared to death about life. They don't know how to deal with their own pain. They're afraid of their children's Man. pain. Yeah. Right. So if we do better at dealing with our own heartache, struggle, celebration, then we could be with our children in it. Yeah, and we're not afraid of their heartbreak. We're not afraid of their skin knees. We're not afraid of their breakups. We're not afraid of their F's on their report cards. Right? I'd yeah. much rather have my children fail fifth grade than help them pass fifth grade, and then get out of college and not know how to go to a job. Right. Right. Because we've pushed them through. Yeah. You know, um, I want them to follow their heart and go for it. No, yeah. we have a chapter in the book called "Climb the Mountain of Your Dreams." that a parent's job is to help the child climb the mountain of their dreams, knowing that most people don't make the mountaintop and that it's going to break their heart along the way. And it's going to break our heart for them along the way. That's awesome. You know, and some people do climb the mountaintop, but then guess what happens? You got to come back down. You can't live up there. And that's sad, you know, and you just can't avoid it. You cannot avoid it. Life is tragic. Yeah. Well, and it's good good for me to remember that really in a, in, at best, an indirect way. I'm just trying to prevent pain for myself. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, like daughter, uh, my daughter, Luca, just started kindergarten. Oh, God. Just which is so sad. So I went to this meeting f- for dads. Yeah. So we had this big meeting. All the dads uh, of the kids in the school got together. We've got a program called Watchdog and all this kind of stuff. It's a great program. Wow. That's cool. It's really cool. But so as, a, as I'm in this meeting... We were supposed to bring our kids with us, and they, you know, they took them out to the little like playground next to the um, cafeteria. There, they've got some teachers watching them, and they're playing. You all drink beer. Yeah, and, someone someone tapped yeah, the keg. That's exactly right. <laughs> and so we're sitting there, and I'm I'm looking out the window, and as I'm listening to the speaker, I'm watching my daughter Luca, and I'm I realize I'm like as if she's on the soccer field, and I'm rooting for her. I'm like, oh, is she playing with that kid? No, she's not. She's okay. She's by herself. Okay. I really want her to find a kid and yeah. play. I really want her. I really want my daughter to be social. and You know, yeah. I don't feel like I need the trophy necessarily more as much as it's I don't want to feel the pain of seeing my daughter in pain. Now, the reality now, at least, is she, she's fine. 
She's yeah. playing with some leaf or something. She's yeah, great doing kids. This stuff. is a great night. Yeah, <laughs> doing. Kids. To, but to me, I'm like, what, does that does this mean that you know, come fourth grade, she's not going to be quite socialized and she's, you know, which all means that kind of you stuff. have stories of being heartbroken at some age around not fitting in or not having a friend or getting left behind 100%. or, or yeah. not having a girl couple skate with you at the skate center. In okay. Grade. You're getting two on the head there. <laughs> that was one step too far. That was too far. <laughs> so, so yes. So yeah. uh, being conscious of your time, I want to, there's three more questions. We oh, have gosh. two that we ask at the end. Okay. But, but I want to ask this one because this is something we've talked about. And I just feel like, especially with dadville and sort of dads, and this is something you, um, have a lot of things to say on it. So I thought before we ask our two last questions, I really want to hear this to kind of pivot us out of this. But could you talk a little bit as men and dads, sort of the seasons we go through? Oh, gosh. You know, just like, can you sort of give the bugle call to like, heads up, dads? <laughs> you know, he- here's some yeah. things to, to know this is going to happen. So when and if they do, you don't sort of go like, what's going on? So uh, the f- the first one, I would, I'm going to make this up on the fly. So we're no, I love this. Do some, I love some this. Jazz. <laughs> uh, the first one is, I'm not ready to be a dad. The second one is, I think it'd be cool to be a dad. Yeah. The third one is, oh crap, I'm a I'm dad. A dad. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's, that stays that way a long time. I was going to say. Uh, if we ever get out of that, it's like, oh man, like it's so cool to be a dad. I'm watching some dads that are older than me telling me about this is what my children are teaching me as they've come back home. This is what they're teaching me. I think there's this middle area. I don't have much to offer a kid in the early stages as a, as a dad, it feels like. Right. Like I can I do some operational things like change a diaper, put him to bed, feed him, go to sleep. But I'm kind of like, when do we get to play? Like, and I think a lot of us dads miss miss that window of going. This is actually the time where just being with somebody is actually really, really cool. They don't really do much. They don't need anything. And so that's kind of the first phase is like after we go, oh, crap, my dad is going. Can I tolerate just being with this child and trusting that that's enough? Like, can I let myself be open to the pleasure of just connecting with a little thing that doesn't need anything. You yeah. Know? And then around, you know, two or three, we, we have this first experience called, uh, I told you so dad, which is like, no, our child says, no, their favorite word is no. And then mine, right. Which is the beginning of actual identity formation. The child starts to go, Hey, I can say no to you. And it drives you crazy. Like it's time to go to bed. No. And then I get to push this button and you have all this power. So the I told you so dad says, well, you're going to do it because I told you so. So it's about us exerting power, <laughs> Dave. It's about us exerting power in order to have control. Yeah. So we start to get this hint of life being out of control. And then we've got Little League Dad. I've coached every soccer level from four years old to professional soccer. And so I was really certain my kids were going to play soccer. Sports were a huge thing for me growing up. It was a real a salvation place for me where I found identity and, and community and affirmation and uh, struggle and so much of me. So all my kids started playing soccer at four, five, you know, and I was their coach. And by eight, they'd all quit playing soccer. Uh, <laughs> so it's probably the coaching that they yeah, had. Yeah, it's probably yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's also that, like, they didn't need it the way I needed it. Right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, uh-huh. And it was fun, but it wasn't, they didn't need it the same way, right? So it was kind of this little league dad where I'm like, we're going to go to practice and we're going to get involved. And it was a, a lot of fun and they had fun around it. And then they kind of moved out of that, right? And they started moving into their own interest. And then it was about me going, can I be interested in the Rubik's Cube? 
because I've got a son that like does uh, Rubik's Cube competitions. He could he could solve no a Rubik's Cube in under 20 Dude, seconds. It's insane. It's insane. Yeah. Sorry, 20 seconds? Yeah, under 20 seconds. The world record's like four seconds. So uh, he's oh pushing gosh. hard to kind of get sub-15 because that makes sure that he gets to the, these different levels. But But I hate the Rubik's Cube. Hate it. It actually makes me nauseous yeah. to try to solve Rubik's Cube. I yeah. didn't even know that was possible. You right. could have said like four days, and I'd be like, man, that's, that's really amazing. quick. Yeah, no, please. <laughs> right. Um, then there's different kinds of cubes. There's yeah, three there's, by threes, yeah. there's four by fours, yep. there's two My by twos. There's, is the exact right? same. So I have had to tolerate turning a Rubik's cube and faking like I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like that's what my son's interested in. Yeah. Right. Uh, right now, Fortnite's real big. I was raging about, hey, don't play Fortnite. Get off the TV. Why are you playing Fortnite? And my son said, Dad, there's actually this is better than you watching soccer because at least we're doing something. Ooh. So you getting up Ooh. early, watch Premier League on Saturday, and us having us not bother you because you know Chelsea's playing. It's like right. we're actually doing something. So Jeez I totally Louise. shifted on Fortnite. If and you, then you grounded him after well, he said that, I see. Yeah, I did. I said, "Go to your room, <laughs> yeah. uh, wash your mouth." That was so. Give yourself a wedgie. Um, I said, "If if you don't, if you're not number one, then all the time you're spending on Fortnite, if you're not winning, you're wasting your time." So I really want you to play harder. I want you to give more effort to it. It's I'll go up and cheer them on, and I'll trash talk them while they're playing Fortnite. Yeah, like, and, I'm, and I'll play yeah. Fortnite with them, and they love destroying me. Yeah. Right? It's so much fun. They love beating me. So we, I've gotten into Fortnite. So that's a little bit of like moving out of the script, Little League, or it could be ever the thing that you thought going to be passionate about, Math League or whatever your thing was, and going, how do I engage my kid in their thing? Yeah. Right? And not make their thing my thing. Like, keep it their thing. Yeah, right? that's a great word. You yeah. know? And then there's, in the background of that, there is what happened in my marriage, right? So your marriage kind of disappears. Like, uh, for a lot of guys, sex life is kind of like on the shelf all of a sudden. And it's like, well, where'd that go? And then we like don't have guy friends anymore because we're working. And so there's all in the background of like the dad stuff, there's all this like man stuff around like, what's my identity as a man? Like, I feel so out of place with these kids. I don't feel like I'm doing a great job. When I try to exert myself, I end up raging or pouting, which is what the other things the men do is we, we pout a lot. We sulk. Uh, we feel sorry for ourselves. We start turning to nefarious endeavors to try to medicate that alcohol, pornography, you know, uh, lawns. There's a lot of guys with like obsessive things about lawns. So their lawns are so nice. And so there's this background stuff going on. But if we could join our kid in their thing and let it be their thing and us have our thing yeah. along with them, then we get to kind of like learn from them and see and celebrate them and be with them. And, and then they get to kind of leave us, which is the next phase. Like they leave us. And the, the real paradox is if we love our child well, they will leave us and give all the love we poured into them to another person. If we don't love them well, they'll spend their life getting over that and they can't love another person. Right, so if we let them leave us, it'll break our heart. But if we do that, there's a pretty good chance they'll come back home. Man, and then we want to kick them out again. Right? <laughs> no, it's like they'll want to come home. Right, yeah. and so yeah. right now, my hope is they'll want to come home for Thanksgiving. And I tell couples when I do like pre pre engagement or pre burial counseling, if you can't not go home for Christmas, your first year of marriage, you're not ready to get married. You're not ready to be an adult. And, and form allegiance with this person if you're so afraid of where you're coming from you can't go back there and do the yeah. rituals of that place the first year 
which means most of us weren't ready to get married. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, so that so it ends with this great homecoming, right? If if we have walked through those seasons well, it ends with a great homecoming. If not, our children are always trying to find their identity by pushing against us instead of moving into their own life. You know, and that's sad because they define themselves off of us, not out of God who made uh, right. made them to be. So yeah, Steve, wow. Yeah. Right, so, heavy. So, so the two, and then we send you off. We ask everybody these at the end. Uh, how did how did uh, Drew answer these? Because I want to do better uh, than him. He, Just yeah, horrible. No, he, uh, yeah. They were. They were. We were laughing. No, they were. <laughs> we, good. Laughed, we laughed. I know I'm not going to top Al's answer, so I'm just going to. No, no, no. Yeah. What is the thing that will make you feel like a successful dad? You, you, personally. Like, what, oh, do you, what do you want your kids to say at your funeral, for example? Uh, um, I will miss him. I knew him, and I will miss him, and he lived. Like, a friend of mine talks about it's not the dates, it's the dash, mm-hmm. right? My friendship, yeah. uh, who actually co-wrote the book, uh, Parenting with Heart. He talks about living the dash well. But if my kids can say, I knew him, I will miss him, and he lived, like, that will be, be teary-eyed, man. That's, God, look at me. <laughs> like, that's, me. that would be what I would hope for. Yeah. Um, oh, God. Y'all didn't tell me. Y'all doing Barbara Walters on me. <laughs> Which, you know, <laughs> what What I take from that oh. and really what I've taken from a, a lot of what you've said so far is, and I, I wrote it on my little sheet here, is just being. Yeah. Let's put aside the fact that that's very difficult and perhaps only getting more and more and Babies more are great difficult. at it. Babies are great at yeah. it. But that's a reflection of like you were with your kids. Like one of the things that I took from Al is how well... He knows his kids and yeah, how well his well. kids know him as a human being, which is sort of, in a in a way, it seems like yeah, well, of course. But on on another hand, I think, well, do is that how I approach my relationship with my daughters? Because I can so easily fall into the like, I'm approaching parenting as a job, you know, like yeah. I'm, I'm am I doing this right? Am I successful? Well, it seems yeah. you know yeah. the thing that that I've thought so much about with my kids is like. That counterintuitive thing for me, which is, who are you? Looking at each kid and going, who are you? What are your interests? And not going, let me tell you who the barns are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Because I yeah. think that's the paradigm shift for me, mm-hmm. is to go, this is not about you conforming to our family. It's about going, who are you in this family? So when I look at each of our kids going, who are you? How do I celebrate you? How can I be with you in who you are? Uh, how can the, I tell you the truth about who, how who you are bothers the crap out of yeah, me? Yeah, 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 yeah. But that that's such <laughs> and a and not trying to change that. Yeah, stuff. it's like oh, I, I can see the good side of that. Yeah, but and like you know, that, that's weird. It's weird in the way that you know, my, one of my greatest fears would be to be somewhere, and one of my kids is so who they are that people are like, well, that's kind of. Oh, we showed up at church one week, and uh, two of our kids didn't have shoes. Oh my! We're gosh. walking down. For, we we Anglicans, so we're walking down the aisle for communion, and they're like not wearing shoes. Yeah, and I'm. And the first thought was like, oh, oh Heather, you're a terrible mother. The second <laughs> thought, <laughs> the second thought was, what's everybody else think? Yeah. And the third is like, who the f cares? Yeah, yeah. And I said, how'd you forget your shoes? He goes, I don't know. I'm a boy. It's warm out. That's a great answer. <laughs> Nailed He's it. like, what, why are you wearing shoes? That, which is a better question. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's a much better question. Yeah. You know? Um, okay, so finally, last question. I'm what scared is, of this question because well, the no, first no. one about made me cry. Well, I did cry. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, what is the one thing you want your kids to know? A thing I want my kids to know is 
who they are is enough for them. Like, it's enough. I would hope that they could live in a world where they don't perceive scarcity about themselves. That God. that they're not sufficient, yeah, right? But they're enough. And that um, they can live in need, uh, that they have a belief that their needs are going to be met um, emotionally and spiritually, uh, primarily. So I think I want them to know that they're enough, you know, uh, which means I have to let them be enough. I can't let them fulfill my scripts. You know, for uh, there's a lot of them I had. You know, uh, one last story. I do have a nephew that plays soccer, and my kids joke that he's my favorite child (laughs) 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 because when Oliver invites us to a soccer game, I'm like, I will move mountains to go watch the game. Yeah, yeah. right. Or a friend of mine's uh, kid, you know, he was playing high school football. I would go watch the high school football games and cheer, and uh, was kind of that obnoxious parent, right? Mm. And my kids are like, yeah, you like that kid better than us. And they're able to kind of tell the truth of my story, mm. you know, going, we know you're sad. This is a shorthand of saying, Dad, we know you're sad that we didn't live up to your script, and we know you love us for who we are. Mm. Yeah. Right? And um, and I do most days. I do love them for who they are most days. And yeah. I love me more and more for who I am most days. You know, and there's lots of days also where uh, I wish I was different than I was. And there's lots of days where... I hold a grudge against my children for not fulfilling my fantasies about how they're going to make my life glorious, rich, and full, you know? And, yeah. But those days are fewer and fewer. You know? Yeah. God. Come on, Stephen James. I mean. That's pretty. Uh, that's geez. good. Dropped it, right? That's you a, did. Boom. That's a mic drop. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing uh, this. This is fun. Yeah. Really, I, really I like the Dadville Studios. All you wonderful, beautiful, kind people. Thank you so much for listening to the episode. If you have a second, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and write a review. Unless it's bad. Because that stuff really does matter. And please follow us on socials. You can find us everywhere at Dadville Podcast. Also, you can follow us each at Dave Barnes Music and at John McLaughlin to find out more about our music. Thanks for listening. Dadville.